Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray, and I'm here today with my amazing co-host, Ellen McGirt. And our guest today, Ellen, is the CEO of Salesforce, Mark Benioff, who's someone I've wanted to have on this show since the day we started two months ago, because I think he, as much as any Fortune 500 CEO, has really pushed this notion of thinking differently about the mission of business. He said over and over again that he believes business is the greatest platform for change and can have an enormous impact on improving the state of the world. And that's what this podcast is all about. You're right, Alan, and it's great to be back together. And I would add that this thinking extends to the workplace as well. Mark Benioff has been on the front lines of some very important conversations about inclusion and has taken decisive action and through his Office of Equality has been able to amplify vital issues about identity and inclusion, which, as you know, is a big contribution to a tech sector that struggles with diversity. And we're going to talk about all of that today. So let's just jump in. Mark, thank you very much for taking the time to do this. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for having me, Alan. So I want to start with your news. You had a big announcement this week about a product you're launching to help companies reopen uh, after the pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I think that what Ellen said is really true. You know, we are trying to include um, everybody in our leadership. And when we see an opportunity to get involved, we take it, you know, and when something like this happens, let me say that this has just been a really challenging time. And um, we've had 50 employees out of our 50,000 who have ended up with the virus. You know, our hearts are with uh, so many people who have had families impacted by the virus or lost a loved one. And uh, we're looking at this right now that we're, you know, still in the first of three phases. You know, the first phase being this crisis phase, it's really a 90-day phase. Um, And then, you know, we're beginning the transition to the second phase, which is back to work. And in this first phase, Alan, and Ellen, I'll tell you that we uh, ask ourselves a question, which is, you know, what should we be doing for our company and for our customers, for our employees, from a commercial standpoint, and also from a philanthropic standpoint? And that's what really brought us to step one, which is, you know, get everyone into their homes. But really, uh, step two became illuminated by a call that we had from Sam Haga, the chancellor here at UCSF in San Francisco. And he said that they were rapidly running out of PPE at the beginning of March, end of February. And, of course, I didn't know what PPE was. I didn't really, couldn't really understand it. And then this notion of personal protection equipment, masks and gloves and gowns and so forth that were protecting the healthcare workers, the doctors and nurses on the front lines, that this was going to be a critical part of uh, the response to the pandemic and would I get involved. And we made a call to Daniel Zhang, who, Alan, I think you know, is the CEO of Alibaba. And uh, he said that he would prioritize us and help us get this uh, PPE And in fact, we've acquired more than 60 million pieces of PPE and distributed it to hundreds of hospitals all over the world. And this has been a big part of how we've responded philanthropically. 
on the commercial side, we've responded also by getting our product to, into the hands of over 6,000 companies uh, who needed an emergency implementation of Salesforce. That included public sector organizations, that included uh, some commercial organizations. I mean, things we've done, you've probably seen like the analytics that are in the governor's office in the state of New York were done by Salesforce. The emergency supply database done for the governor of California was done by Salesforce and kind of the list goes on. So we've been busy in the last 90 days and um, it's also really set us up for uh, the second phase back to work. Can we dig into that second phase a bit? Some of the tools seem a wonderful mix of very practical, how to rebuild a six foot office place to really aspirational. How do you survive mission intact through all of this? What are you learning about what your business customers are really worried about and need right now? And how are you planning to adapt and assess all of that for the second phase? We've been announcing work.com and uh, that is really our platform for reopening safely. And really it's about the partnerships we have. It's about creating a community. It's about giving the right advice, but it's also a series of apps. And I'll tell you the story. It really uh, came from this phenomenal governor in Rhode Island who's been working on delivering not only amazing testing technology, but also the tracing technology so that she can notify her citizens if they've been associated with somebody who has the virus. And that's given her the ability to flatten the curve very dramatically in Rhode Island. Well, after we built this technology for her, we realized, you know what? This is something that every company is going to need. Companies are going to need to be able to notify their employees if they realize that uh, somebody that they've been with or associated with or in a meeting with has the virus. And because uh, when we go back to work in phase two, the virus is still going to be out there. You know, and we're not, we don't have a vaccine yet. So we're going to be interacting still with the virus and we want to mitigate the amount of interaction that we have with that virus. So we needed to build apps that are going to help our customers get back to work safely. Those are things like contact tracing, building a command center so that all of our customers are able to see their total impact with the virus, workforce triage, shift scheduling, you know. We're going to break into a series of shifts. We've already done this in Singapore where we have team one, team two, team three, which are maybe working on a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Well, if somebody gets infected in team one, you might quarantine all of team one, but team two and three continue to run. Well, 90 days ago, that's not how we ran Salesforce. And um, we knew we needed to build these apps quickly because uh, these are the kind of things that all companies are going to need to do. Mark, one of the things you did early, right when the pandemic started, is you made a commitment not to lay off any employees at Salesforce for 90 days, uh, which was a, a great commitment. But then you also challenged other CEOs and said no one should do any layoffs during the first 90 days. And I wonder how, you know, if you think about somebody like Arnie Sorensen at Marriott, where the business is down 70 or 80 percent. What's the message you're trying to send to those hard-hit businesses? Well, I think that uh, not this doesn't apply to every business, and uh, I don't. I, I I think that you know I have a lot of compassion for those businesses, and obviously Marriott is a huge customer of Salesforce, and Arnie Sorensen's a close friend of mine. So, I you know I have a lot of compassion for what these businesses are going through, but for businesses who can look at their business and say they're not going to 
lay off for 90 days, I really encourage them to take a moment and a breath and to hold on because that is going to give our economy the ability to keep going. You know, we're about to head into a really difficult recessionary or maybe depressionary cycle, and we need as many people employed as we can. And I have been encouraged that dozens and dozens of companies, maybe hundreds at this point, have accepted my 90-day no-layoff pledge. And I think that this is something that, uh, you know, every CEO has to consider before they, you know, take a slice of their business. And look, I... Alan, I think you took 10% off a of fortune already. That's right. It's it's a painful process. And you know what? I get it. And and I understand that and I get it. And you know, I'm not I'm not giving any judgment and I also don't want to be judged, you know, in terms of here is, you know, how I I look at it. And I think everybody has to look at it as what's right for them. I've been the CEO of Salesforce for more than two decades. I've been through multiple recessions. I understand what this is like. This will be by far the most severe that I've ever been through. But the reality is, is that we're gonna have a lot of work to do get done and a lot of other companies will also. And in many cases, they're gonna to wanna to hire those employees back as soon as possible. This is a moment in time that everyone should reassess exactly how deep do they wanna cut, if at all, and get ready for what is their plan for the next 18 to 24 months. I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, the CEO of Deloitte US, which is the sponsor of this podcast. Joe's one of the most thoughtful people I've met on the topics we discuss here every week. Joe, thanks for joining. Alan, pleasure to be with you. Joe, you and I have had a number of conversations about the growing demands from multiple stakeholders, employees, customers, the communities in which companies operate, as well as shareholders. In a crisis like this, all those demands just become louder and more emotional. How can you balance them? Alan, this is actually the time to prove that the sweeping statements around serving a broad cross-section of stakeholders are genuine. I mean, the trade-offs are less acute in a good economy where growth is ample. It's in times like these where you truly have to live the principles, making the right decisions to take care of your key stakeholders in the interests of maximizing the long-term value of the enterprise, even if that comes at the expense of shorter-term quarterly results. So you don't think stakeholder capitalism is gonna slide backwards during this crisis? You think it's gonna move forwards? We all have an obligation as a collective business community to make certain that it moves forward and to prove to those in society who are skeptical of our intentions that we genuinely mean it and that we're doing everything in our power to bring it to life in these most challenging circumstances. Joe, thank you. Thanks for having me. Mark, I want to roll back to 2015, when Indiana passed what they called a religious liberties law that was viewed as sanctioning discrimination against gay people. I've been covering business for four decades, and I can tell you for a fact that that was exactly the kind of issue that most Fortune 500 CEOs would have had nothing to say about. They would have gone under their desk, controversial, politically, doesn't affect my bottom line. Why do I have to talk about it? But you did something different. You spoke out. You said that unless Indiana overturns that law, Salesforce is going to pull its people out of the state. That was new to me. That was a very big change. And I wondered what motivated you to get into that bruising fight. 
Well, it was definitely a turning point for us because I think that, you know, we've always been deeply committed to the communities that we're in and the communities that we're served. We want to, we want to have a work environment that serves everybody and that is truly inclusive. And I think that the only way we're going to have growth, and especially at a time like this, we can say, how are we going to have growth? You got to bring everybody in. You have to take everyone. And, um, you know, we'll talk about the bridge to this, to gender equality, to all aspects of diversity and inclusion that are important to us. But when it comes to the LGBTQ community, of course, I live in San Francisco. I was born on Divisadero Street. I could not imagine in my wildest dreams that there could be such discrimination issued against LGBTQ. And, you know, it was really our employees who came to me, and I guess they knew that I was going to respond because they said, you have to not let this law stand. And in fact, we dealt with the governor of the state, Mike Pence at the time, and we negotiated with him and he changed the law. And that was very important. But that was a real turning point for business. You know, you had a whole slew of CEOs after that. Uh, You saw Brian Moynihan at Bank of America do it in North Carolina, Ed Bastian in Delta on the gun issue, do it in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Something changed there in the way big company CEOs thought about how they run their business. Help us understand what that change was. Well, it was definitely a surprise. As I said, it was really a turning point. And what happened was, is when our employees said, you need to negotiate and and make a statement around this. Well, we did. We said, we cannot invest in a state that's discriminating against our LGBTQ employees. So it's driven by employees. Oh, absolutely. That's my job as the CEO is to be just listening and responding to my employees. And and my customers too, of course. But when that happened, the next thing was, is that the next day, I guess I turned on the television. I didn't even realize what what I had done. And hundreds of other customers and companies basically had followed us and said, no, that's how we feel as well. And, you know, it's really the concept of psychological permission. I don't know if you follow the work of Don Miguel Ruiz. He wrote a great book called The Four Agreements. But the idea is, Everybody wanted to do that. They're just waiting for the first person to do it. I, I wouldn't say that I was, you know, any great leader at that moment. It was just that I did it first. And then when I did it, everyone else went right through the door after me. You know, it's not so different than probably any other, you know, herd mentality. And that that is kind of what we saw with those CEOs. And that's happened in other areas. I think a really strong and important area is gender equality. You know, we're deeply committed to paying men and women equally for the same work. We've advocated that everywhere we go. We've constantly are auditing our payrolls to make sure that that is happening. And we're evangelizing that to other CEOs to take that action. And that is very important right now. And I'll give you one more example, which is when I am giving a a discussion or I'm invited to present, you know, I I ask, you know, people in the audience will raise your hand if your company is net zero. That is, if you have no carbon emissions, no additional carbon emissions, you're a net zero company. And I, you know, I'm seeing more and more hands go up that they are now net zero companies, that they have done what is necessary to not have any additional emissions coming out of their organization. And that is another area where CEOs can lead. So whether it's in the environment, whether it's in gender pay, whether it is in LGBTQ equality, and there's probably many other issues that we could go through. CEOs have a role 
in setting the tone. And uh, corporations and organizations, well, they've got quite a lot of power in their relationships and their customers and their products and their technology. This pandemic is an example. You know, we're using what we call that stakeholder theory, which is kind of what I just outlined. And that's look at what we've done with our first phase of the pandemic. We've unleashed our technology to serve a good. We've tried to unleash our relationships with the purchasing of the PPE. We've unleashed our financial resources. We're doing what we can because that's our role as a company to do those things. And as we get into phase two, we're going to do it again. That's why we're building work.com. For example, we expect to lead in those areas of information technology or PPE, social distancing, again, as we enter phase two and building the economy and showing, uh, putting a light on where to grow and what those new opportunities are going to be for, for all businesses. And that, I think, is something that CEOs can do. And I'll tell you that the discussions that I have with CEOs, that we're dealing with a lot more active activism in the CEO community than ever before. I know you've highlighted a lot of it in Fortune. And I think if you went back and looked at Fortune 10 years ago, maybe it would look very different. And I think that that's quite interesting. And I think that in modern business schools, they are having to modify their curriculum to talk about this because those leaders who are coming, who are millennials and the ones after that, well, they want to be great leaders. You know, they want to be the ones who are saying, I'm going to be a, a leader who is about inclusive capitalism. I am going to be a leader who's going to take care of the environment. I'm going to be a leader who is not going to discriminate. I'm going to be a leader who's going to always use my business for good. It always strikes me and my audience, I write about, about race and inclusive leadership, is worried about and worried about now more than ever that these issues were harder for lots of people, even when people were healthy, even when the economy was going well. And now that we're facing a recession, and now we're facing really tough choices about what people are going to invest in, we're worried about some of these really big commitments will go by the wayside. And from my point of view, my, my biggest example is racial and ethnic diversity inclusion. It went by the wayside almost immediately in 2008. And to your point, it was a different era. It was, it was a newer kind of conversation. But how do you recommend that leaders respond to this fear from their employees or find the courage or simply parse the math the right way? That's such an important question, Ellen. Let me just build on that a little bit, Mark. I mean, I think this is the big question that people are asking. All these things uh, that you were talking about developed in good times, but now we face bad times where companies, you know, Salesforce may be doing okay, but companies are looking at their bottom line and saying, I don't have the time or money to spend on these kind of uh, issues. Are you worried that there's going to be backsliding? Well, I think that first of all, this virus shows us the racial and ethnic disparities that we have in our society. You can see it in the data, and um, if anything, I think it amplifies to a lot of people very clearly, you know, that we have a lot of work to do in terms of creating more equality in the world, and especially when it comes to our health health systems. I mean, the the data is absolutely clear. This virus has been really uh, aggressive when it has come to people of color, for example, and to, you know. I hope that what that will do is amplify and help us to reinforce that we need to take action aggressively on these issues. And CEOs can have a role in doing that. 
they can have a role in amplifying that back, both in their own policies and how they're running their companies, but it also in terms of advocating for those policies to be adjusted uh, through our political infrastructure. So I hope that what this does is actually put a light on things that is going to make things better. By the way, this was always prophesized that this would happen. If you go back on the early studies of pandemics, in all cases, you know, it talks about that this type of um, amplification within the racial and, and ethnic minority populations, well, this is something that was actually very well studied. But we need to act and we need to do things. We, we need to hold ourselves accountable and we need to create a society that you know, has a healthcare system that is for everyone, not just for a few people. So you think at the end of the day, this crisis will promote the move towards stakeholder capitalism? I believe that it will. And I believe that that's part of what you're going to see is that the CEOs who are actually most successful are the ones who are acting in that way. Mark Benioff, thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate what you're doing and hope you keep it up. Thank you, Alan, for everything that you're doing. And Alan, too. And I really want to thank all the CEOs and all business leaders who have done so much during such a difficult time. The last 90 days has been so challenging for all of us. And again, my heart is really goes out to everyone who's lost a family member or this virus has affected somebody in their, in their families. And um, I hope that you know, we get through this quickly so that we can all uh, get back together again. Thank you. Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. Hey, Leadership Next listeners. There's more C-suite insight available now at the all-new Fortune. You'll find expert curation, exclusive videos, and clear analysis on topics ranging from AI to digital health. Subscriptions start at less than a dollar a week. Visit fortune.com slash subscribe and discover why it pays to know.